back to Cover Stories B-Sides. Today we've got a um, special guest, Jamie Barrientos. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' cover of Higher Ground, originally by Steve Stevie Wonder. How's it going? Good, man. It's good to see you. Uh, gosh, when's the last time I saw you in person? Probably like... Uh, it was like uh, Warped Tour, the last Warped Tour. <laughs> no, no, it was longer than that. I think is when I had when you had my Emotionless and White t-shirt in your car for like oh, yeah. over a year and I finally got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, Jamie got me my first writing gig with uh, online with uh, Creative Socialite. He co-founded that website. And um, yeah, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, a little bit about me. Um, I, I love music, obviously. That's why I'm here. But uh, uh, yeah, I've been writing about music and entertainment for a few, since 2013 now. I got my start at iHeartRadio, went to Sinclair, started Creative Socialite, got you on board. And, you know, we just hit it, hit the ground running trying to scale that project. And it was fun. So yeah, you know, I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Oh, th- thanks for coming on. Um, this is a fun one. We don't we haven't really talked about Red Hot Chili Peppers a lot, and it's one of those bands that I mean, for as much as we talk about Foo Fighters, as much as we talk about Green Day, it's actually surprising when you mention this. I'm like, oh, we haven't really talked about them. Um, what made you decide to want to talk about this song? I love Stevie Wonder. Um, I love the original Higher Ground. I mean, that whole album is just such a fin- fantastic version. Yeah. Version. yeah. Um, it's a great song. And then obviously, you know, the Chili Peppers, Mother's Milk was such a turning point for their sound, you know, very funky, groovy. 89 was the year that released. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I love the song. I think it's funny because I mentioned the higher ground to somebody and, and they didn't know the, the song by name, but when I played it back, they're like, oh, the song from Power Rangers. And I was just kind of <laughs> like, and then I realized, you know what, that's the first, that's probably the first touch point that people get with the Chili Peppers, yeah. and then later down the line, like, oh shit, that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers on <laughs> that soundtrack, you know? Yeah, I always think of the Power Rangers and um, Center Stage, Center Stage, from yeah, the nineties, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't when I first heard it from there when I was a kid. I, I didn't know it was a Stevie Wonder song originally. Um, but like we said, it, you know, it was on the Stevie Wonder album and version. Stevie Wonder wrote and recorded it in three hours, which is nuts to think about. I, I think, I think it's it speaks to his work ethic. Oh I mean, yeah, I, he's a phenomenal performer great artist i mean you go listen to his older records and his new records and he still has it he still has yeah. that that sound you know that he infuses that funk and i think you can hear a lot of that influence in the cover of higher ground and uh yeah i mean it's 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 such a phenomenal record and i think obviously you know john Frusciante was it's his first chili peppers record yeah <clears throat> and also uh chad smith on the drums so yeah it was it was a clear departure for them to kind of you know jump more into the funky rhythm and i think that single really carried forward, you know, what the sound was going to be for that album. So I think it's, you know, it's it's one of my top three albums for the Chili Peppers. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's up there. It's interesting because um, I was reading a lot about what made the Chili Peppers decide to do that cover. It's the second track on the album, I believe. So it's like right, right almost right out the gate. Um, Stevie Wonder wrote this um, and he felt this like urgency of an impending disaster. So he wanted to get recorded really quick. That's why he did it in three hours. And three days after the album was released, he got into this really bad car accident. And uh, apparently, I don't know if like Urban Legend has it that one a lot of his band guys would come in to visit him when he was in a coma, and one of them was was singing the song "Higher Ground," and it actually woke him up from a coma. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's um, it's it's kind of interesting because of the content of "Higher Ground." It's about this new level of you know of being basically and there is a, re- a religious aspect of it but there's also like a, a more of a spiritual aspect to the song and chili peppers doing this song this is the first album 
after Hillel Slovak died of, of an overdose. Jack Irons quit shortly after that. So like you said, it is the first album with John Frusciante. So in addition to just establishing the sound, it's, does feel like them literally taking their sound to a higher ground, you know, and it is almost like working together with that. Yeah, I like the opening track of uh, <clears throat> of Stevie Wonder's album "Too High," and it's funny that you say that. The whole background of uh, you know he he being in a coma that song, and honestly, the Chili Peppers kind of made that a larger than life you know song. Most people associate adrenaline, you know. Yeah, I think in Power Rangers, there's there's skydiving. Yeah, you know, the yeah. White Ranger has like some kind of snowboard skydiving kind of thing, and um, yeah, it's. I wish I could have seen them in their prime and hear that song live because I can just imagine the mosh pits when that's like hitting, you know? Yeah. Um, I was listening to about like, Frusciante was 20 or 19 or 20 when he joined the band and he was a big fan and he was trying to mimic Hello Slovak's sound, but he kind of took it to another level and since that he was a lot more, uh, I don't want to say educated, but like, he knew his music theory a lot better. And yeah, he, he was more uh, more super technical. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good way to put it, and it, it's it's kind of interesting that he's kind of mimicking Slovak, but then he obviously has his own sound, and that really defined what the Red Hot Chili were from that point on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that like when you talk about Frusciante and the, how technical he is, a lot of people when they when they heard Mother's Milk, and you can just look at the archives of some of the reception of the older articles. I actually went to go read. Uh, the Rolling Stone article, the review they gave it, they gave it three out of five stars. And uh, the reviewer actually does talk a lot about how the sound is a little more funkier, obviously, yeah. you know, with the departure of Jack and also, you know, with Hillel's passing. Um, yeah, he noted that sound. And then obviously in 91, when they went into, you know, Blood blood Sugar Sex Magic, yeah. that was all Rick Rubin. He kind of like, yeah. he was like, all right, I got the master technician on the guitar. I got amazing bass player. I got Anthony on Vox, you know, Chad on the drums. He kind of really molded that, molded that album to be the way it came out, and which is why it's such a monumental record. You know, most people, when you think of Red Hot Chili Peppers, you don't think of Mother's Milk, and I think for a lot of the audience out there, they, they think of Blood, yeah. Sex, Magic first, or Californication, you know, when they think of old, and I'm using air quotes here, you guys can't see it out there, <laughs> uh, older sound, but uh, the more modern Pepper sound is, you know, vastly different yeah. from the Mother's Milk record, so... It's yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you bring up Rick Rubin because I feel like Rick Rubin basically, I and mean, he was doing stuff before that, Run DMC and you know Def Jam Records, but this that Blood Sugar Sex Magic definitely created this Rick Rubin sound. And every time you hear a Rick Rubin produced song, you can tell it's Rick Rubin. There's a a Weezer song called Let's Get Dangerous, which is, doesn't sound like Weezer. It sounds like Weezer covering Red Hot Chili Peppers, but basically it's like sounds like you can hear the Rick Rubin <laughs> in the production, and of course it's produced by him. Um, I think it's interesting that Frusciante, I think he's one of the most underrated guitar players. And what he brings to the Chili Peppers is, is can't be overstated enough. I mean, it's just so interesting from that point on. He was apparently, he was on his way to audition for Frank Zappa before he got with the Chili Peppers. And I think Flea convinced him to play for them. Um, it's it Apparently he... Did, didn't end up auditioning for Zappa because Zappa's clean and he didn't he wanted to do drugs and party. Yeah. <laughs> so Chili Peppers were perfect avenue for I that. Think, I think that era of the Peppers from I think eighty eight until like the release of One Hot Minute, they were just balls to yeah. the wall. And then when Dave joined after John left for One Hot Minute, I think, and which is funny because when you hear the One Hot Minute album, it's much more slower pace. Yeah, than obviously blood. You know, all the other records before that, um, and and it's it's I feel like it's. 
I would call it their ballad album. You know, it's there's a lot of ballad heavy songs. The song Tearjerker. It's one of my favorite songs, by the way. Um, Dave is just an amazing guitar player, but you know, I think when they were like ready to go, get clean, they you know, obviously kicked Dave out of the band. And then they released Californication '99. John was back. Yeah, you know the the original. I mean the the new four were there, and I think Californication was like the first foray into their modern sound. You know, so for it, sure, it, it kind of kicked off that whole modern pepper sound, which people now is more inclined to listen to. You know, yeah, I think One Hot Minute kind of gets shit on for no reason. I think it's just because it's different. But I feel like it, um, I feel like Dave does a good job in the sense that he is filling a void, but he's also not completely submitting to that sound. Like you can still hear it and think, okay, that's Dave Navarro, but he doesn't take it to the, he's, this isn't Jane Addiction, Chili Peppers, you know? And yeah. of course it has a lot to do with Perry Farrow and it's a totally different <laughs> style altogether. But um, it, it's interesting just because I, I, I feel like that, album unfairly gets shit on and i love Lo- i mean it's not on the album but love roller coaster <laughs> came on around as another good cover from an old yeah old funk song yeah. and um I, I like what he did with, i like what he did with that guitar part i mean the essence of chili peppers essentially is the bass by flea to slap flea, and then frusciante is just, just got this he has the simplest melodies but he just makes him sound so warm and and, and thick it's hard to like when I tried to emulate that with a cover band I had. We had two guitar players and it just sounded hard. janky. <laughs> like it, it, we couldn't, we couldn't make it sound like whack a whack. It was yeah. just, it just sounded so like plain. And I don't know how he does it. I and mean, a lot of it's his tone, but how he plays. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because um, on Mother's Milk, there's an instrumental track called uh, called Pretty Little Ditty, and uh, he wrote John wrote like that all the riffs for that, and obviously it's an instrumental with he and Flea. But uh, fun fact, um, that band Crazy Town, they completely sampled oh, uh, really? that riff from the song. And when you hear it, you'd be like, what? Those mother effers, right? <laughs> but you know who's having the last laugh is John because when they, they paid for that license to use that, that bit of the song. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but when you hear it, you're going to be like, oh, wow, they wrote that? Yeah. So <laughs> go hear Pretty Little Diddy. And then when you hear the song, you're going to be like, oh, my God, I know what part that is. And you're going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember because when I when that song, uh, what's it called? Uh, Butterfly? Butterfly? Came yeah. out in, like, what, 2001, right? Yeah. And I, I grew up with, you know, uh, older brothers and sisters, and my brothers were into thrash. They liked the peppers. and all. So I heard Mothers of Milk, you know, when I was younger. And when that song came out, I remember watching it, the video on MTV and the riff. I was like, they stole that from the peppers. <laughs> Obviously, this is predates the Google era, so I can go on the Google yeah. and, like, look it up, right? But... Yeah, I just I just remember thinking at the time, man, I bet you the Chili Peppers are making a pretty penny off this viral hit from these guys. You know what I mean? Because it was yeah. like in strip clubs and like, I wonder if John and Flea when they were writing that, they were like, I wonder if they ever thought that would be their song would be turned into that. You know? Yeah. What I mean? Well, so. it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because there's definitely an aspect of of modern music that, or even turn of the the century music that was inspired by the Chili Peppers. I mean, even though they were doing their Californication thing, I mean, new metal in general kind of comes from the Chili Pepper sound. Um, there were a lot of bands that were doing that that a similar sound. I know there's the whole feud with Faith No More and Mike I knew Patton. you were going to bring that up. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm just going to say it right now. I, I, I'm a huge uh, Patton fan. Uh-huh. Mike Patton is just one of my favorite vocalists, you know. But, yeah, the whole feud, I mean, and, and I, I feel like, obviously, it leads to their... their it goes back to talk about how, you know, how young they were. And, obviously, yeah. they are doing a lot of drugs. And Mike Patton was notorious for being a jerk on stage. And, <laughs> you know, if you go look on YouTube, you can see um, 
uh, actual old videos of uh, of Mike and Faith No More just, you know, making fun of the Peppers yeah. on stage, playing their songs all fucked up, you know? And it's like, God, you know, the Peppers were never doing that, but they did talk shit. So I think that was kind of, people are like, oh, well, you're just another Peppers ripoff. But once uh, Faith No More really evolved their sound yeah. in the late 90s, I think people were like, oh, okay, well, Mike has some chops and he can fuck Oh, yeah. Up, I mean, Mr. Know? Bungle is like oh, a totally different band. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I I was listening to a lot about that the feud and and um, for a lot of the the antagonizing that Patton did, I mean Ketis is kind of an asshole. He he basically stepped in and said that they couldn't be on Lollapalooza. I think there was what was it Big Day Out or another? Day out. Yeah, yeah, he refused to have them play if they if they were going to play it, they weren't going to headline. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And I, apparently, like. Patton talked to like their their management and they're like, look, it's not us, it's not the band, it's it's Ketis. Like apparently he's the one that was behind the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, from what I had heard and read online was that Ketis just was just completely upset about how they were mimicking them, mimicking them on stage. And obviously in the nineties, the Peppers ruled. You know, they were in movies, yeah, Power Rangers, Beavis and Butthead Do America, yeah. Love Roller Coaster, um, and they had you know a bunch of other songs in various different. So they had the clout. Yeah, huge. You know, a big part of the reason why John left the band was because he couldn't. He, his anxiety was so high. He was like, he couldn't handle stardom. They're like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, we're this crazy funk metal band from California out in the eighties, and now all of a sudden we're doing fucking soundtracks yeah. for national movies. The first Beavis and Butthead movie, which is a huge deal. There, you know, Love Roller Coaster was the, the single for that. Yeah, OST that soundtrack. And uh, Power Rangers, you know, like you just opened up a whole floodgate for all these young kids hearing this song, and now. They're, they're going to look into it. And also, I think there was a Pepper song in uh, Wayne's World, you know, when he gets pulled over by by the cop. And he's like, have you seen this boy? And it's like the yeah. T.T. reference. That's a Pepper song. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the song, but it's is it, it's not the one from Coneheads, is it? Because no, they, they did the song uh, for Coneheads also. Yeah, they did a song for Coneheads. It's uh, it's like Califrage or something. It's like a, yeah. some weird name like yeah. that. But it's a good song. It's, you know, it's, it's a little very, bit more like, mellow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good song. But yeah, like I said, there you go. You know, Airhead, all these songs that... They were influential. In the, they were so huge in the 90s, so I could see why they kicked, you know, obviously Faith No More off, which sucks, but, I mean, it's just the biz. You know the <laughs> business. I know the business. I've been backstage. I know the politics. <laughs> it gets so shitty sometimes. And, you know, when, when you're just kind of like a, a passerby or a fly on the wall, you're just like, well, it's the Peppers, and they're the fucking top band right now. Yeah, and, you know, I it wasn't until maybe, I think, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, when I heard like a Slovak era Red Red Hot Chili Pepper song that I can remember, and I was like, Fight Like a Brave. Fight Like a Brave. That's a great song. It's so different. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, I think people, I think people don't think when they hear the old, old stuff, like they don't know that that's Hillel. They're not going to go and look at the history, right? They probably think it's John, but. They had very distinct sounds, man. The only problem with obviously with Hillel was his drug use. You know, it, yeah. it really fucked up a lot of the writing. If you go back and look at how um, the writing of that record was, it was just it was a nightmare for them because he was the one that was obviously the most fucked up. You can't play your whole album without your guitar player. Yeah. You know, and I think he and Jack got into a lot of arguments. Oh, really? You know, which caused also Jack to leave once Hillel passed. You know, Jack was like, "Well, stand the peppers." Yeah, and they got Chad and John, and it was like, well, the Peppers are back. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, I hear "Fight Like a Brave," and I think that sounds like what graffiti looks like to me. I don't know why I just associate that. Maybe it's the music video, but um, th- it just feels a little bit more raw, and not like in a good or bad way. It's just it's just different. Whereas I, I feel like the whole like California, you know, 
California destination California sound starts with Frusciante, which is ironic because I mean Kiedis is the one who kind of took that inspiration. Didn't they like rent out a house to record for Blood Sugar Sex? It was like this haunted house that they yeah they, they recorded the album in. They recorded some. They recorded in some house that Rick Rubin obviously yeah. had recommended. You know he's <laughs> he's just he's got his processes. You know I think I think that album was really him kind of showing them, hey, you guys are talented. And here's how you can here's how you can be even more talented with the right direction. So I think I think he kind of showed Anthony, hey, you know, you guys need to slow your roll a little bit. You guys are off your rocker. You know, you had a pa- you had one of your guitar players pass away. You guys are very talented. You're working. You know, it's Rick Rubin. He identify he can identify yeah. talent. He's worked with so many great records. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah <laughs> yeah for sure. I think um, it's funny just to to talk about the sound itself in the sense that. We talked a lot about Frusciante, obviously, but Flea is so interesting because he comes from like a jazz background. He was a trumpet player, and he grew up like loving jazz and like hating rock and roll. And from what I understand, Hillel got him into like punk and like yeah. rock music, and you can hear that in in his bass playing. And and uh, there was uh, Amoeba Records does this. What's in my bag? You ever watch that on YouTube? Yeah, I love it. So Flea's <laughs> episode is really great. I'll check it out. I haven't seen his. He really goes into like all of his musical influences. He talks a little bit about rock music. He talks a lot about jazz. Talks a lot about. I think he was in this movie, or he, he might have played like a jazz musician, or like had a side part in it. It's really, really good. It's it's funny to watch him now as an old man versus watching these '90s interviews where he's just like this punk kid, like making face he was basically like animal from yeah, uh, yeah. from muppet babies you know <laughs> just kind of like being an asshole being like uh, like you know just basically being a guy from jackass you know yeah and it, it's funny because if you think about the different types of genres like in the late 80s that were already huge or getting popular thrash metal was going getting huge bigger you know in 87 guns and roses dropped uh, yeah their album uh all the, you know, glam metal was dying and then start of the 90s were start of the grunge era. So I think, yeah, I mean, if and you, t- you say punk, it's funny because Fight Like a Brave to me is a punk song, but it doesn't sound like your punk song, your typical yeah. punk song from the 80s, you know, that that really rough New York 80s sound. It's not yeah. like that, but it's a punk song. The whole spirit of the song is, you know, hey, we're going to fight like a brave, give it our all and go out there and just kick ass, you know, and that's to me embodies that sound. And it's a great, it's a great track. Yeah, yeah. It's um I don't know, it's just it's just interesting to see their progression. I mean, I feel like the last Californication on has been very similar. Stadium Arcadium is feels like either a spiritual sequel or just an extension of Californication. And um I haven't really listened anything past Stadium Arcadium to be honest. Yeah. And you know, I've heard all the other other albums and like you said, they all really sound very similar. And I, I think I think it just goes with the times, you know. Yeah. It's like well, what, it's like, well, what's hip now, right? If you think about like the early two thousands, I'm just thinking, like, God, what 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 was on the radio during that time? A lot of Nickelback, a lot of Disturb, Peppers, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, what else? Metallica. I mean, they they were kind of they had to carve a new path, but I, I think I think they put themselves on a path that they knew was safe. I think I can feel confident saying that. And I, if they agree with me or not, I don't care. But that's what I feel like. Yeah. You know, I've never been like a massive Peppers fan. I'm not following record to record. But I listened to their albums, and and for me, it just felt like it felt very. Uh, what's the word? I, I I did say safe. I would I would I'll stick with safe. It's a very safe sound. It's tr- it's tr- uh, tried and true classic Pepper sound, but it just it's just like you said, very similar. Yeah. To album, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is just. Uh, I mean, there's this maybe a sense of humility as they've gotten older, 
And, um, you know, I mean, you have a song like Can't Stop, which feels reminiscent of like the 90s era Chili Peppers, but in a more mature way. And I think that was about Kiedis' divorce, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting that they were able to kind of, oh, that middle album, I can't remember the name of it, but the one in, by the way. By the way, I love yeah. that. That's, that's another great record from, I think that one was, I wouldn't call that one a safer record, but I, like, I think that one was more of them trying to experiment with, uh, I wouldn't want, I don't want to use the word emo, but I want to use the word, um, they're more intact with their emotions. You know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the lyrics on, by the way, you could tell he was going through, you know, his divorce and all the shit going on with his breakup. Uh-huh. Um, and some of those songs in that album are just classics, man. You know, I think that record was bigger than Californication. I like Californication more, but I think that one was, had monumentally more radio play. Californication yeah. Did. Yeah. I think it was a sign of the times too. I mean, um, Californication hit 99 and that was kind of this transition period where, I mean, pop music was super huge. I mean, it's always huge, but like pop music was known for, you know, you get your Britney Spears and your boy bands and Christina Aguilera and stuff like that. And I felt like it was, it was almost like there was a sense of nostalgia with that album, but also this was also a transition into what rock and roll was going to be. And, and it's funny because you have new metal really hitting it big at that time, which obviously has some influence from the Chili Peppers. So there is that nostalgia aspect of it, but they're also kind of t- carrying the co- torch, if you will, that two-year torch after it uh, <laughs> <laughs> went out around 2000, 2003. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's crazy, too, because, you know, around the early 2000s, I was really into post-hardcore and uh, hardcore music. So I was kind of really just, you know, really uh, – yeah, exploring different music at that time. And I think if you like it, the start of the 2000s was really the start of the boom of rap. You had, you know, Clips, you had Pharrell, you had just monumental rap records coming out more on the radio. And I think that kicked off the rap era in my eyes. For sure. I think that's definitely rap's like transition into pop radio. Um, because, I mean, I've talked about this before, but like rap is definitely like young. You know, it's what, 30, 40 years old. And um, you've got, a lot, obviously, you've got like big hits and, and um, excuse me, rap groups and that were were big culturally. But when it came to winning Grammys or when it came to like winning, you know, getting on the radio, other than like hip hop radio, it wasn't as often as you would hear now. Um, I mean, you're right. There is that transition with Pharrell and, and kind of uh, really legitimizing. The so many producers. commercialness of, of rap, yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about the other producers, too, besides Pharrell, like Nate Dogg, huge, monumental. Uh, Manny Fresh with, you know, Lil Wayne and Birdman, that camp. Uh, there, Yeah, there's just a ton of different, I think at the time, producers kind of carved that ground. Dr. Dre came back, you know, yeah. with Eminem. Eminem popped off. He had 50 Cent. So, uh, the, yeah, I mean, like you said, it was the start of rap and pop radio. It became more, more mainstream, I yeah. would say. Um, you know, the boy band era was already uh, dissipating by that time. So I think people were like, well, I'm either going to go listen to Limp Biscuit or <laughs> I'm going to go listen to Eminem 50 Cent. And I think people just, um, I think the Peppers kind of got lost in the mix, but people still knew who they were yeah. on top of, you know, the other major genres of music out there at the time. They, it's weird because they kind of graduated to like dad rock and contemporary rock at the same time i mean it's so interesting because you have a you have a band like the foo fighters who have been around just as long i mean not long but the guys in the band have been around just as long and there's this sense of like freshness with them whereas the chill peppers it's a little bit more it's not even like they're stuck in the sound because they they definitely evolve with the times too but there's just a sense of like 
the separation between the the two is just very it's very different you know yeah it's funny because uh some people like i talked to and i I know a person who's like huge into the peppers and i was like oh cool like what's the first record you heard from them and he would tell me it was californication i was like oh that's fair you know a lot of people at the time like i said were exploring other genres of music at the time so maybe they they heard but uh, you know whenever I, i talk about their older records with people they're just probably never either never heard them or don't even, you know, don't even like that type of sound for the Peppers, so it kind of, like, pushes them away a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think people should go back and listen to those older records and then listen to the new stuff, and, and then you can hear the distinct difference. I mean, what, I think the last record came out four years ago in 2016, so, I mean, who knows if they're going to put out anything new within the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, Frusante's back with the band now, so yeah. I, I feel like that <laughs> wouldn't happen unless they were planning something. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or so something comes out. Um, going back to Stevie Wonder, uh, Wonder, I, it's funny because it's as much acclaimed at Wonder. Wonder has the third most Grammys of all time. I think it's 25. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's behind Quincy Jones and I think a composer or another, a producer, different producer. But um, it's interesting because as much as acclaimed as he gets, he's still really underrated. I think that what he does with music, what he has done with music and the people he's influenced, I mean, every, every, there's so many artists that you can look back on that maybe completely away from the type of music that he makes that are inspired by him and what he does. And I mean, he was just, uh, I don't want to call him a savant, but he was just, I mean, (laughs) it's like, you know, everything that he, I mean, he obviously lacked his vision, but he made up in everything 100 fold um we talked about how he wrote this song in three out wrote and recorded in three hours he also surrounded himself with really great musicians um i was reading that or listening to a podcast talking about this song and uh, the guy that um played guitar on higher ground actually wrote the song maniac really for flash dance yeah wow that's Uh, awesome (laughs) michael michael sambello or sambello and then um the other guitarist that was on this track, David T. Walker, wrote the guitar riff for Marvin Gaye's "Let's Get It On." Yeah, it's funny. It's 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 cool. Like I think, yeah, I think Stevie Wonder is such an amazing artist, man. Uh, there's a song on that album from this from that album, Intervisions, called "Don't You Worry About a Thing." Yeah, uh, oh, great song, and also "Too High" on the opening track. Uh, it's just so funky and groovy, and and it's funny because in "Don't You Worry About a Thing," Stevie's like trying to holler at some like. I, I'm assuming a Latina because he starts speaking in Spanish. He's like, you oh, know, yeah. uh, you know <laughs> they, were talk- <laughs> they were talking about that on this podcast too, and just how like it was, it was so cheesy, but they let it slide because it was Stevie. It, it's know? cheesy, but like when you hear the song, you could just hear hear so much of his personality, and you can hear how genuine of a person he is. So when you hear that track, you kind of just like hear like hear how he is and how like mellow and chill. And the track is a great song. Like the subject matter is awesome. It's a very positive, uplifting song. But I feel. Stevie Wonder was that. Like, if you talk about music personified in a positive manner, be Stevie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I just love that. I mean, these, it's so funny because, especially at the time that this cover came out, you felt like these were guys, these are two different musicians, two different artists on like total different spectrums. But I felt like in the past 30 years, they've gotten closer and closer to where it's almost synonymous. Um, and, and it, it's it's so interesting to see these I mean these guys from California playing this funk music and I mean some people would maybe say they're gentrifying <laughs> it a little bit but um, I think I've always appreciated about them is they, they do try to, to to pay like homage to these to these the classics and 
I mean, with, with, with what their sound is about, they're, they're very good about kind of, you know, paying tribute to, to the people that came before them, especially the black artists. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's it, well, it goes back to how you're saying Philly's a huge uh, jazz musician. Yeah. I mean, he was the one that, you know, reached out to Stevie, got the clearance for it oh, all. Cool. They got the whole thing set up. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they got the licensing to do the cover for Fire by Jimi Hendrix, but it's on the same record. And I love that cover of Fire, man. It's so fast. It's just like, it sounds almost like a thrash song, but it's obviously a Jimi Hendrix song, right? And the gang vocals in there are, are interesting because it's something that, like, that, I mean, definitely fit in with it. I mean, it just, yeah. I always associate that with Woodstock 99, and uh, that was the beginning of the, the literal fire to happen oh at Woodstock 99. God, that was a crazy, dude, it's funny you mentioned Woodstock 99 because... I love going and looking at those older videos. You know, I like watching the old Rage videos from Woodstock, yeah. Nine Inch Nails. That 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 was such a monumental uh, music event, man. I wish I was of age to go and enjoy that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because obviously I was like a little chav to not be able to go do that. So, yeah, it's interesting when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I remember my, my uncle had a web TV. His, <laughs> he had a web TV and we watched some of the like... Uh, the, not the syndicates, but like some of the, it wasn't a live, it couldn't have been a live stream. It was like probably a few hours around uh, later, but I remember that you had to hook up your like phone line into the yeah. back of your receiver, right? I remember Something I tried like to that. do that, but it was super expensive. So my parents were like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember watching some of it and uh, then hearing about everything that happened. There's a really great uh, podcast. Um, I can't remember what this, the, the streaming station it's from, but uh, Stephen Hyden, this music journalist talks about Woodstock 99 and uh, it's from The Ringer, so uh, it's really good. He really goes into this about 10 episodes long, yeah. 30, 45 minutes, and, and talks about everything that happened, well, most of the stuff that happened, mm -hmm. and how it went wrong to begin with. Yeah, I hear that. I hear a lot of, I mean, typically what happens with most big, you know, music productions, I think the, the money management was the issue. You know, obviously, they're paying massive amounts to the art. If you look at the artists in the lineup of Woodstock, it looks like a fever dream. It's like some kid yeah. is like, I want all the major artists, and this is what I want. Boom, and you see it. It's like, wow, like somebody went to that show, and that show happened. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? That's a crazy lineup of everything, of all the big stars, of all the, you know. It's when you go back and look at the footage, it's like, man, you look far back, and you see how far back the people extend, you know, past the stage. You're just like, wow. Yeah. Imagine like being at the wayfront trying to get out of that that yeah. must have been a nightmare it was uh it was really close to being like firefest yeah because of all the stuff that happened i mean they their security wasn't trained it well it literally was fire yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah just hearing about everything that went down i mean it's the same promoter that did the original woodstock and just there was just i don't, I don't know if it was incompetence or it was just uh, an overzealousness that in setting everything up and it's just i mean it was a, it turned into a shit show but those three days i mean you, you like you said that lineup is just crazy to think but that was the first time i ever heard like the tragically hip i think liz fair played that was, might have been the first there time i heard liz of, fair yeah your artist you're just like who's on the lineup <laughs> jamiroquai <laughs> played yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's, <laughs> if you think about it you know it's it's, it's insane I, and i don't know if you remember this but like i think it was last year or the year before they try to like revive Woodstock. They, yeah. they did a whole campaign and then that just fizzled out. And then people were like, oh, well, they have reservations for tickets. And then it, then it literally became that whole fire fest festival yeah. like, debacle where, oh, it's not going to be really Woodstock. It's just like some weird offshoot. You yeah, because they moved it to Meriwether Pavilion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, f I forgot about that. Well, it's been <laughs> it's been a long six months, these past six months. that I forgot that was last year. 
Yeah, I forgot what day. I forget. I feel like I forget what month it is now with the whole yeah. thing, <laughs> the whole everything going on right now. It's just it feels like like I was telling you earlier, uh, the months are going by like weeks. I feel like you know. Yeah. It's insane. Like summer's almost over. <laughs> yeah, I mean it pretty much is. School's already started for a lot of people. Yeah, for a lot of kids. So. Yeah. Um, so uh, going back to Chili Peppers, you talked about Mother's Milk is in your top three. What What are your What are your top three? What are they? Um, Blood Sugar, my number one. Uh, Mother's Milk, my number two. And I would say Californication for number three. Those are my top three Peppers albums in that order. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, those are very different sounds, you know, as far as how it goes. What uh, what makes Blood Sugar Sex Magic the f- number one? I feel like that's it's almost kind of a given. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's almost funny because anything you say, I feel like, is a cliche answer at this point. Everyone has said everything you must say about that album, right? I think for me, it's a mixture of a lot of a lot of things, you know, my bro- I remember my brother bought the cassette when it first came out. So it was a mixture of a lot of, you know, nostalgia, a lot of that growing yeah. up, listening it to a lot around the house. I heard that a lot. I heard Mother's Milk a lot. And then I was already, you know, in, in approaching middle school when Californication came out. And I just loved that album. That was the first time that I really, like, was like, I heard that album when it came out. You know, I, I'm able to say I love that album. And it, it brings back so many memories because I remember when the Californication album or I'm sorry, single dropped on TRL in the music video, and I was so hyped. And it was that whole animated video. Oh, this video game, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm a, my, my bass guitar is my favorite instrument. So, you know, Flea, obviously, there's a that the bass on that record is just so phenomenal. And I think, like I said, they, were, they, didn't, they weren't trying to emulate a new metal sound, but you could tell they were changing with the times, and, and it was a good sound. Yeah, it's so interesting that like that album sounds like heroin, and they were all clean by that point. <laughs> like yeah. that was when they stopped doing heroin, and that's their most like heroin sound. I think Scar <laughs> Tissue specifically, and I think Scar Tissue probably is my favorite song by them. And oh, that's a good song. Just the 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 guitar part, the intro itself. I mean, it's super e- easy, super simple, but the way he makes it sound and yeah. that little solo. I mean, it's just it's so it, it's almost post rockish in a way, in the sense that like he really carries out each note and it, he sustains it, and it just feel it. That's what I think heroin's like. I've never yeah. done heroin. I hope I never do. But <laughs> that's what I feel like. It's that's what it feels like. Yeah, don't do heroin, kids. Okay. <laughs> um, no, yeah, man. It's 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 like you said. I, they they are they were all clean at that point. And the reason that John joined the band was because they were all clean. Yeah. And that record dropped, and you know some of the lyrics and themes on on that record were about you know that past yeah. belligerent lifestyle. You know they're coming off one hot minute with Dave, who was just a crazy drug addict. Kick them out of the back because of that, and then blood sugar before. That's what I'm saying. Dave was clean when he joined, and then I think he, 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 I they kind of got lured back in. Oh yeah, he got lured back in because everybody else was in the mix doing the <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? And obviously, you're part of the Peppers. They're fucking the crazy motherfuckers from California. You know, they're like, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think in that when Californication, yeah, those those are definitely my top three. I would say my pep my definitive Peppers uh, album list for sure. Um, it's funny because uh, do you remember Buddyhead.com? The website. Why does that sound so familiar? It was like this this punk website, and um, this guy, uh, Aaron North, who played for Nine Inch Nails, was really good friends with the guy that ran it. I can't remember the guy's name, but that guy was on um, this really great podcast called "This Was the Scene." It's about the New Jersey punk uh, scene of the early two thousand, uh, late nineteen nineties, and early two thousands. And um, oh god, that was like the Taking Back Sunday start era because yeah. it started down Jersey and freaking Randy. Yeah, 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 yeah. and, and it, it talked to a lot of people from that era. And the guy that ran Buddyhead apparently because Aaron North was his homeboy and Nine Inch Nails is friends with Change Addiction and all yeah. them. 
when Aaron fell asleep, he took his phone and like got Dave Navarro's number <laughs> and him and his buddy from Buddyhead used to like uh, prank phone call oh, Dave Navarro. Shit, that's classic. They would call him and be like, hey, is, is your shirt off? <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, actually. It is. Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's I really <laughs> recommend that podcast because I'm not doing it any justice. I have to check it out. But it he said he was like the <laughs> nicest guy though. And he was such a good sport about everything that like. He, it was hard to like hate on him in that sense. And, and this is obviously like years, probably like six yeah. or seven, 10 years after the one hot Wim minute came out. But I, I always associate him with that, like Ink Master and how he's just yeah. such a, like, he seems like a good person. He, I, he, I mean, honestly, even Carmen Electra, the craziest woman, like, you know, she even said that like, he was just a cool stand up dude. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and now he would, I, what is he, what is, is he hosting a show now? Or Ink Master. Of, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. What's funny, um, I remember right. on, I was on Twitter. Uh, maybe about shoot ten years ago, and the guy from Silverstein tweeted at Dave Navarro because apparently <laughs> Dave Navarro like hit on his girlfriend. Oh God! At a restaurant, I remember one of my friends retweeted it, and he was just talking like, "Man, fuck you, <laughs> rock star douche!" And Navarro like responded and was like, "Hey, like I am so sorry. Like it, it, was, it was a misunderstanding, and like he was really like upfront and like very like sincere about it." <laughs> And I just like little things like that makes me think that like he's probably like, a really cool guy. I think so. I mean, obviously he wouldn't be able to host a show if he wasn't, yeah. you know, like a stand-up person. And I've and I've worked in TV. I've I've been around some hosts and anchors that have just are just divas and just yeah. ugly to work with, right? But I've also worked with some that are very like, hey, you know, how are you today? Like, are you cool? Like, and you know, what do you think of the show? Do you want me? Do you want some tips on how to do? Da, 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 da? So. I think it's just, uh, you know, people automatically assume, oh, rock star mentality, this guy yeah. has addiction, this guy has old, you know, chili peppers, they automatically assume he's just like giant douche, but I think he's on that spectrum where, hey, he's a, he is a giant rock star, but he's a stand-up guy too, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you, I mean, I, I guess you can't really name names, but in your experience with iHeartRadio and Sinclair, <laughs> were there situations where like, you didn't have to say names, obviously, but yeah. where you ran into some, did you ever have anybody like ruin your perception of them? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> effing lutely. In the radio world, especially, like, in yeah, you know, I don't work for iHeartRadio anymore, so I can say this, you know, like, I'm not gonna say fuck iHeartRadio because I, I still have homies that work there, but uh, yeah, man, God, the radio DJs are just oh, really? cutthroat <laughs> mother effers, like, rude. Some of them are very rude, but they're also very like entitled. And it was interesting because I left iHeartRadio, work for, I went to Sinclair, and the disparity was so different, like. You know, obviously, I, I, I guess because the people that are on TV, they have to live that persona, right? But once you get to know, like, the actual talent in TV and get to know their personalities, they're cool. But in radio, it's like they're just, I don't know, a different breed, which is why radio's probably dying. I mean, I'm sorry, not sorry. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, like, it's a byproduct of the era. People are listening to podcasts, you know. I'm not going to sit and go listen to some, you know, edited music with some crappy commercials for an AC company that I don't need, you know what yeah. I mean? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it gets lost with a lot of people that don't know the behind the scenes of radio and TV. They see they see and hear what their personality is and that they like, right? Whether yeah. you listen to, you know, talk radio about the news or sports radio or, uh, I will say this, my favorite radio DJ, I'm just going to plug him here, Jeff Sheen. What's up, homie? You know, he was a sports radio guy that really kind of gave me my wings there. And uh, at iHeartRadio really, you know, kind of let me do my thing, kind of coached me up. And, yeah, he, he was he was one of the stand-up guys. And it's funny because he followed him on Twitter, and he's a fantastic sports, like, you know, person personality. So he's always just tweeting about sports and stuff. But he was one of the guys that, um, you know, I owe a lot to really put me into skits and was really like, hey, 
give me your ideas. Cause at the time, you know, I was in marketing creative and I was yeah. just like, Oh, what if we do this? Or you should try this, or you should definitely start doing MMA on your show. Cause it's going to be huge. And he let me do the play, by, uh, play by play commentary on Twitter. I would go to the UFC events when they were in San Antonio. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was cool. Like being in that environment, you know, really taught me a lot. And we also like, I'll say this about working in radio is it opened up my eyes to, other genres, you know, like I really had a fond appreciation for the art and the new artists that were coming in there to, to uh, highlight their new music, right? Up and coming artists, brand new artists from different genres, rock and all that. And what I saw was, man, you know, I used to be so closed minded and was like, yeah, I'm not a really big fan of country. You're like, yeah, fuck country. You're like, yeah, you know, oh, hip hop, whatever. But when I actually talked to those country artists or those other hip hop artists, or whatever, you could just hear how passionate about the, how, about, their craft, you know, and their music. And yeah. that really opened up my eyes because I was still young. I was in college, you know, still like, oh, whatever, kind of like doing my thing. And it was the early 2000s. So, yeah, man, it's it was definitely an experience. And I wanted to bring that, you know, when we did Creative Socialite, I wanted to like say, hey, we can do this too. And we're going to do it better, but more raunchier, and which is what we <laughs> did. You know, you remember those nights. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it's funny just because you mentioned about, you know, growing up and a lot of teachers growing up, you know, you, you have a perception about a genre. I, I definitely went through phases where I hated country and I th- <laughs> like contemporary country was like, I loved old country, but I hated contemporary yeah. country. And there's, uh, and hip hop I've always been into, but never like I, when I was younger, I never really dived into it the way I have been recently. And I love what, like you said, watching artists talk about not just their like process, but their influences and there, you know, rest in Kelly, right? Yeah. So yeah. have you heard dirt emo? I have. It's so good. <laughs> it's a mixtape of, of these, these, those who don't know, it's a mixtape of these, these emo covers, but in like a country, it's yeah. more like Americana. It's more like folksy. It's not like, I would say it's more folksy. I yeah. think the whole, God, you remember those horrible records that came out in the late 2000s, 2010s? It was like like the Pop Goes Hip Hop, the Pop Goes <laughs> Country. Oh, God. I mean, they had some big names on there, but, uh, you know, I love them. I love all the bands on it, but just those records should probably never put it, been put out. <laughs> <laughs> Safe to say. Uh, yeah, it's it's nutty. I highly recommend people go listen to that. He does uh, <laughs> At Your Funeral by uh, Saves a Day. I think that's probably the closest to being like the actual legit you know, record in that vein. Yeah. 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 And, um, he, uh, he did Helena by My Chemical Romance. <laughs> he has Chris Crabba do screaming infidelities with him on there. Um, and he does like a Taylor Swift song too. <laughs> um, I, I, I just think it's so funny, man. I know they're divorced now, but him and Casey Musgraves, like they're, they're definitely kind of taking discharge with like contemporary country and, they are, are kind of, and as much as people like to hate on Taylor Swift, I mean, she was really, you know, influential in, in bridging this gap and, and becoming, uh, you know, transcending. Yeah. I know Shania started that. So yeah, before yeah. there's people like Jeff, I mean, I know the Shania T-Swift started in the 90s. Like next level. Like, I, I, I could see the whole pushback with the whole Kanye and all that stuff, right? I'm, I'm a Kanye. I like Kanye. I like Taylor Swift too, but I think she pushed a lot of boundaries and you know when taylor first came out i was dating this girl and she was just in love with country music but she would always play that damn record you know and when we broke up like she would post messages on her myspace and shit and would just like the lyrics and i'm like <laughs> oh god here we go you know and i was doing the same thing i was posting my, you know my chemical romance lyrics and freaking yeah. you know all that stuff from that era of high school you know saves the day i love saves the day yeah <laughs> They're they're top three band for me oh, uh, of all time. Yeah. 
What was what was one of your uh, emo away messages? Oh, <laughs> you God, emo away messages. I think I put the lyrics to uh, Streetcart from Deftones in my. Oh room. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's my new address six six zero. I forget. You know that. Whole, <laughs> I love that. That's one of my favorite Deftones songs, and Deftones is one of my favorite bands. You know, so I I put a lot of Glassjaw lyrics and a lot of uh, Deftones lyrics in my away messages for sure. <laughs> That's cool. I, I I feel like it's funny because I went to go see Glassjaw. Uh, at Fun 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 Fest like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I first heard, I think we talked about this on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't get into them. I just, I heard <laughs> Cosmopolitan Blood Loss and it was so not what I like was yeah. expecting. I, I was in there like taking back Sunday and, and you know, that, that level of like third wave emo and it was just so weird. I mean, diverse is very like diverse feels like his, his, his vocals are like, he's like moving to mic like yeah. this and just like, going back and forth in the sound. And, I just, I, it was, it was unlistenable for me. I remember it was on the Warp Tour, like, uh, compilation. And oh, then man. I heard, uh, I can't remember the song, the bartender one. Um, uh, Tipsy Bartender. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is Glassjaw. And then I heard it on Automaticum. I think it's Tip Your Bartender. Tip Your Bartender. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, that whole, dude, oh man, I, I love Glass. I can talk for hours about <laughs> Glassjaw, dude. Derek Palumbo's, I yeah. mean, he's super, and I heard Head Automatica, so I gave Cosmopolitan and Bloodlust another chance. I'm like, oh man. By that point in time, I was into like the bled. Like, yeah. Poison yeah. the Well. Oh, the bled. Man. Can we please get another bled record? Oh, I love <laughs> the bled, man. Blood was my shit. I love the blood. Andrew Sines from uh, from Light Ghosts. Uh, him and I were talking about how he went to Burger Boy after uh, the Blood played at White Rabbit. Oh, but that was an amazing. The show. Blood was there at Burger oh. Boy. He got to like hang out with them. For Shout a out Burger bit. Boy, man! Single with the extra jalapenos and mayo. Best <laughs> Burger Boy. <laughs> it's funny because the St. Mary's Burger Boy is the best. Superior to all the other Burger Absolutely. Boys. I, I don't know what. I don't it think is. of anything uh, any other location but that one. Right there. <laughs> It's funny. I I I, t- I love talk. I wanted to do this. We were gonna have like a White Rabbit episode because I'm my, so down for that. My brother yeah. has a story. He went to go see Maylene in Sense of Disaster, and I think Emery was playing. Oh and God! Emery was opening up for them, and he's not really into Emery. And he was like taking a. Uh, he liked the first band, and then Emery was the second band, so he went out to, to smoke a cigarette. And this guy comes up to him. He's like, oh, hey, man, can I bum a cig? He's like, yeah, my brother's real, like, social. He yeah. hands him a cigarette. He turns around. It's fucking Dallas Taylor <laughs> from Maylene. He had to see, like, he let Dallas Taylor smoke one of his cigarettes. He That's took, awesome. He took a bunch of pictures, but he lost the pictures on, like, an old hard drive. I, but And you always hear about Dallas Taylor. Like, people see he has a very strong personality, but he's also a good guy. I mean, like, he left he left uh, under oath because he wanted to pursue a different kind of Southern rock style. Was vastly different yeah. if you look into the old listen to the old under oath record you're just like wait what yeah yeah this is who and they sound like this wow <laughs> <laughs> and then their only cha- chasing safety came out and it was like completely 360 from their their original sound you know yeah yeah i think i think uh, i like that first mailing album um i think every time i die kind of market corrected them for me because i i think what and it's not a, not any hate towards mailing but that like Caution dangerous curves ahead. That like oh, it's the way that great, song starts great, off great, with this like song. giant yell and like this giant scream and it gets me hype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a great, it's a good like MMA like entrance song. Oh yeah. Um but uh from there I got into every time I die, my old roommate Kyle Coffee got me into them and 
uh, I want to give a shout out to him because he he definitely turned me on to every time I die, and I think they kind of filled that void. And Man. I didn't really get into the second or third mailing every albums. Every time I die, remember we saw them. Remember that last time, yeah, the last Warp tour we saw them, but I, that was like the fifth or sixth time I'd seen him alive. But man i love they're so great all the records are great from start to finish they've influenced so many bands yeah if you look at the new modern what i would i, I don't even would you, would you call it even hardcore now i don't even know what the genre is but that new sound you could tell a lot of the new bands have that every time i die influence you know it's just they're they're one of those monumental bands that made such a big difference and i think Warp Tour really pushed that sound and opened up a lot of people to, to listen to them. You know, now they're huge. Yeah, I think one thing that I, I thought was kind of neat about that is Keith Buckley's, and I forgot the name of the song, but uh, Map Change or... Map Change. Something yes. like that. Um, but he's playing that little outro guitar riff. Yes. It's like the last sound that you're going to hear at Warp Tour because they, they close yes. out the they night. closed out with that song, I remember. Yeah, I and he's song. playing in the crowd. He like went out and walked out in the crowd. My first Warp Tour experience was AFI in 2001. Davy Havoc. The first thing I saw at Warp Tour was Davy Havoc walking. <laughs> so it was a cool little like he's a giant, right? Full he's like circle. super tall. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he or was. No, you know what? I'm thinking about the Black Veil Brides. Were you next to me when they walked past us when they got off the stage? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Well, Andy Black, that fucker's tall. I was oh, like, yeah. damn, he's tall and skinny. He looked like a you know he's tall and skinny dude. But um, <laughs> they grew on me actually. Blackville Brides. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people shit on, a lot of like the older crowd shit on them. But I, like I said, at the time I was already like, I, I'm just listening to everything. Get everything yeah. Gets, I think you know? I, I regret, there's a few times I regret. Cause I think I didn't go to Warped Tour from 07 to 2011, I believe. When I, in 11, I was because three bands, there was three bands I wanted to see. And then I saw the names of some other bands. You see, I always get the Warped Tour programs or whatever. And then one, like I got a sampler. I got the Run for Cover sampler and Title Fight was on there. And I was like, holy shit, Title yeah. Fight is so good. And they yep. played, and I fucking regret not like tr giving them a chance. Man. I haven't I, seen them live. It's crazy. I remember the one Warp Tour I went, in, or the earlier Warp Tours, I think it was like in 2010 or two, 2010 or 2009. And, um, you know, I got to see all these, like, post-hardcore bands and hardcore bands, like, you know, from first to last, uh, uh It Dies Today. And you're just like, wow, is this going to be Warped Tour forever? You know, because <laughs> it was very la uh, lacking of, uh, you know, pop punk and, you know, regular punk. But there was some in there still. But I was just thinking in my, I was in my head, I'm like, this is it. This is going to be the new effing wave. <laughs> this is, I didn't know, I like some of those bands, though. I didn't, I never shit on them, but I, I liked it. You know, go have a beer and listen to the music, you know, and just chill <laughs> yeah it's it's funny i mean the whole the whole work we can do a whole episode of warp tour yeah <laughs> in the sense that like there are are aspects of it that i i really miss and there are aspects of it that like i'm glad are gone it was too hot <laughs> not even just that just i mean there was there's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> i feel like incel culture starts there <laughs> oh god you know? you know what i that's another can of worms you're absolutely yeah right. <laughs> you know and, and, and not even just like i mean obviously a lot of like bad stuff happen on these tours but i mean the culture itself you hear a lot of these bands and mm -hmm. a lot of the older bands that i like love to go see it, even they were like annoyed by i remember every time i die talking shit about i think breed carolina or probably the, it's just about like these <laughs> these guys think they're rock stars and shit like that and they, yeah. they've got this like this uh you know sense of uh this cult of personality and they, they think they can just treat anybody like shit or get what they want you know yeah, it, you know, now I feel like it's it's kind of a bummer without, you know, now we, obviously we don't have live music events of that scale happening because of the, the situation, but um, I, I just don't think there will, there will ever be another uh, Warped Tour-like festival that gives those bands that are famous in the 
you know, to fans like me and you who listen to that kind uh. of music and give them a stage to really shine and show that. You know, if you're not going to, who's going to put like a first to last in Lollapalooza or, you know what I mean? I'm just thinking like hypothetically, like there needs to be another music festival to give those types of bands their, you know, their big stage, yeah. their big time to shine. Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like, right, Fun 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 Fest was doing that. And I, I think that before they went under, um, and even when they tried to re, re when they split up and tried to do uh, uh, SOS Sound on Sound. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I they mean, moved it out into like some weird location. I remember. Right? I think it was in Deva, De Valle, right. yeah, yeah. Devalle, um, however you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, and uh, Riot Fest. I remember um, a friend of mine was talking about um, how last year's Riot Fest, or it was the year before. I think it was last year's Riot Fest was what. The, what Warped Tour should have been. Yeah. They had a bunch of like early 2000s bands and, and bands that are reuniting or bands that have been around who, you know, just used to be in Warped Tour, but then they got, you know, kind of pushed aside yeah. to these like teeny bopper scene bands. And, uh, and it's no hate on them necessarily, <laughs> but it, it's just, it's, it's just interesting to see that kind of unfold. And I think Riot Fest is, is probably my favorite consistent lineup. Fun 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 used to be because when, back when Fun 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 was was around because you can get everything you needed. I mean, I saw Wu Tang and like No Effects in the same day. You know, and yeah, it's just cool to kind of be able to just walk. And it's small, much smaller. I've never been to ACL, but I felt like I would oh, be exhausted man. walking around. I, lo- I love ACL. It's such a great like. Uh, yeah, I love ACL. ACL is great. Levitation is also, an, I think, another. I would. I don't want to see Warp Tour clone because I feel like they do it better and they have better bands. It's very different. Oh, I, love I always it. associate Black Mod Super Rainbow with Levitation. I love <laughs> Levitation. I had. I had the. Whole, I had the whole you know press thing going on for this year and it got canceled. I was bummed and all, everything else got canceled. I had tickets yeah. to see the Strokes, you know, at the amphitheater that got canceled. You know, I'd never seen Strokes live before, so that was like. Oh. I saw them at South by. They did a free show at the at the amphitheater, the auditorium. Shores, and that was that was the year like a bunch of bad like a bunch of really bad shit happened. I think people broke down the well, fence. Know, that was twenty fourteen. That, that was, was twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. That's twenty eleven because that happened, and then um this a night later or the night before, Duran Duran was playing Stubbs and a light fell. <laughs> oh, and, like her, I don't I don't think anybody died, but I think people got Duran Duran. Like yeah, I love Duran Duran. Man, <laughs> I could go. I, and then uh Ben yeah. Weasel from Screeching Weasel punched a girl. <laughs> He, oh pun- God. He, he punched a girl on stage, and then that was the same year that yeah. Dead from Above came back, and I was there when they didn't let it. Like, it was a it was Beauty Bar. Uh, oh, Beauty Bar. Yeah, and um, they had a very small capacity, but they had a chain link fence, and I was one of the people out there with my my brother and I, and a few of my friends were out there watching through this chain link fence, and they <laughs> ripped this chain link fence down, and they had like the cops got caught out. I remember wow. like they brought out. Like pepper spray. Oh wow! A few of my friends, my brother got pepper sprayed. Jesus! Um, they brought out the cops and the horses, and like I remember <laughs> when the cops came, I went to my brother and I'm like, "We are probably like one of the darkest people here. We need to get out of here." Yeah. And we kind of walked. We were kind of like walking away. We were kind of like because the show was still going on, and I remember at one point some guy like sneaks up next to me and like gets like a half drinking beer can and throws oh, it at God. the horse. At the whole and I'm like, I'm like, okay, like I'm in a dilemma now. I don't want to look like a fucking snitch, but I also don't want to get my ass beat by the cops. Hell no, dude. So I, I kind of just like raise my hand. And they like run past me and be, grab the guy and like arrest him. Wow. Fortunately, no like police brutality happened Jeez, from what man. I saw at least. But um, but yeah, it was nuts. It was a it was a it was a good South by South by God. I feel like you could do a South by episode too. Yeah, I've seen so many cool secret shows at South by like, yeah. 
I think South by, I mean, I miss South by. This is the first year, what, they didn't have it in, like, forever, yeah, basically. Yeah, like, 93, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when it started. really affected the city of Austin. I mean, now, like, this, we're going to lose, I feel like we're going to lose some of the smaller venues, you know, a lot of the ones oh, yeah. that really thrived on having those up-and-coming bands. Now, it's kind of, I hope we don't get to that point where it's, oh, well, you know, there's no more awesome music venues in Austin. Yeah. Austin's now just a tech city. That's why I hope we don't get to get to that point. So we got to do all our best to support. Like I've been buying, I see all these bands that I like putting out all these special edition like t-shirts and stuff. So I've been buying them up and yeah. like, trying to support any way I can because, man, they got to eat too and I don't want to lose music. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so, it's good so, stuff, man. So yeah, um, you know, bringing everything back to Chili Peppers and Stevie Wonder, do you have any final thoughts about this, the cover? Which one do you like better? Oh. <sighs> Which cover do I like better of of uh, Fire or... No, I mean, or, the cover, Higher Ground, or the original? The original. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in, I'm always, like, an original kind of guy. Same thing with movie remakes. Like, I, it's just the keyboards, you know, it's just, it does yeah. it for me. It's so... It it's, was, a, was it a clavis chord? Or what's, it was a type of organ. Yeah, it's and, a weird kind of, like, electric organ from yeah, the 70s or the 60s that was, such like, a cool sound. It's an amazing... And it sounds so crisp and Stevie's yeah. vocals on that. Amazing. Yeah. And not to say, hey, the Chili Peppers version is also an amazing song, but Stevie's covers, is, is there's a reason he he's, he's has his song got covered because it's a phenomenal song. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, man. Well, cool. Do you have anything to plug? Anything you want to let people know about? Uh, No, not really. You know, just uh, shout out Cover Stories. Thanks for having me. Oh, you know, for sure. Keep listening. Um, if you want to hit me up on, on uh, Twitter or Instagram, it's Real Jamie B. You can find me. Say what's up. All right, cool. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah, it. Man. Thanks for having me.